Welcome to the Corlin Economics Report, a weekly look at financial and political topics relating to asset-based investing. Guests on this program pay no fees to appear, and guests and hosts disclose any equity interest in companies profiled. Now, the Corlin Economics Report. Hey, everyone. Welcome in to the weekend edition of the KE Report. My name is Corey Fleck, along with Shad Marquitz. We are your hosts for this weekend's edition, also your hosts throughout the week on our website, kereport.com, and podcast, The KE Report, for daily market commentary. And this week was a full week because of the Fed meeting, a lot of other central banks that had meetings this week, as well as, as always, the volatility around those statements. We are kicking off the show with a good friend of the show, Rick Bensignor, president of Bensignor Investment Strategies, writes the institutional newsletter, Supposedly Irrelevant Factors. That's read by some of the most successful hedge funds in the world. On the retail or more individual investors' side, you can check out In The No Trader, as well as a piece called 7-Eleven, where Rick picks no more than seven of the 11 spider ETFs, all with the goal to beat the underlying S&P. Now, Rick, as I mentioned, this week was all about the Fed. Even though there were a large number of other central banks meeting, the Fed went ahead with the 75 basis point hike, which was what the market expected. They did increase expectations for the next two meetings only by 25 basis points instead of 50 basis point hikes for the next two meetings. They are now saying we might get a 75 and then a 50 basis point hike. We saw a lot of volatility in the markets while Jerome Powell was speaking. But at the end of the day, if you net it all out, I didn't see much change in overall direction or tone of these markets. Rick, your takeaway from, again, a volatile week on the back of the Fed. Hi, Corey and Chad. I think that uh, the market's in a worse position than many are suggesting. Let's let's put aside the perma bulls, who, whether the S&P is at 4,600 or 3,600, they're going to tell you to buy all the time. We see them on business television all the time. Forget them. Let's just look at what we're seeing here. So we've had, besides the June bottoms that we got uh, bullish off of within two weeks of that June low and then turned bearish north of 4370, so we call it the high, this week actually is very important to us. And uh, we've been waiting for confirmation of a potential new leg lower which I will tell your listeners comes on a Friday close this week beneath 38.89. And as best as we can tell, that is going to happen. So unless we have a very sharp rebound um, tomorrow, then yes, we we have broken again. And uh, despite the fact that most people who are observing kind of with a classically trained technical analysis background they're going to say that uh you know we're still we're getting closer to testing the june lows i'm in the camp that this week is actually the one that breaks the camel's back and they'll be buying near those lows as people say oh great we have a chance to to test and and get stocks at nice cheap prices again i think that the likelihood is fairly strong 
that we will take out those lows and depending upon how much momentum builds to the downside in the next month or so, you could have a very vicious balance of September and go into mid-October with a substantial decline such that the S&P could potentially fall even down to, let's just call it 3,200 down to maybe 3,000. So um, we've been waiting for this confirmation to show up to indicate that the lows not only will be tested, but will likely be exceeded. And um, that's the way we're going to play it. So we are still sellers on rallies. And um, I, I think that the down move could end up being even sharper um, than most people expect. So if our, our view is that if you do get some type of bounce off testing the lows, that's good because that will give you another chance to sell. Well, Rick, it's also getting close to that monthly close next week as well as a quarterly close. So to be at these key support levels and possibly breaking them uh, this week, uh, do you put a lot of weight on that and also the fact that there's the seasonal factor that we're in crash season between September and October is notoriously when markets like to roll over. Do you give that any weighting or, and would you even be considering shorting some of these markets at these levels? Yes to all. Yeah, seasonally really weak period. I think that's not going to help the case at all. I, I don't mind shorting. I can tell you from somebody who's playing this game over 40 years, it's not easy to short when you're getting close to some a, a test of a significant low like we saw but um i think it's the right way to play and you can either go outright short you can buy put spreads uh, there's lots of ways that you can play this for a continued down move and i've been telling you and your listeners for months and months that this is a year that we have raised ample cash we've been selling on all the rallies this year and um even personally, I've, I've sold out of a um, significant amount of names. And it's not easy to do that, but I think the game has changed enough that this is the type of year where if you're going to sell out of names and take some long-term gains, my, my guess is you also have some losses that you can easily use in taxable accounts to offset those gains. And look, we all we all have gotten beaten up on on certain names that are half the price or less of where they were a year, year and a half ago. And um, so most people, by and large, have lots of names that are potential sell candidates to just get out of to offset long term and, and short term taxable gains. So um, I'm, I'm not afraid to be a seller, even at these levels. But, you know, I. I tend to like to sell into rallies but this one may stall a little bit as you know we hover here but um i'm i'm not sure we're at, at this point if you go to last week's high which was just north of 4100 i don't even think we'd likely get above there on any subsequent banks so rick is this all about the Fed and other central banks hiking rates? Or in your eyes, is there something more structurally an issue with these markets that would even carry over to when the central banks slow down on the rate hikes, even stop their rate hikes, that might not save these markets? I, I think the in, in the simple answer, Corey, it's yes. The, the, the Fed was behind the 
huge rally that we saw from 2009 and again when they had to inject a, a terrific amount of money from the COVID pandemic. And unfortunately, they went too far. They totally lost control of uh, the inflationary picture. And I think Chairman Powell is making it pretty darn clear that things have gotten out of hand. He doesn't necessarily say we were at fault, but inflation went from 2% to 8 to 9%. And until what, what he's made painstakingly clear finally is that until inflation gets handled and is brought down to the targeted levels that the Fed has, which is in neighborhoods of 2% as their target, they are going to do what it takes in order for inflation to come down. And the cost is going to be capital markets selling off and most likely uh, you know, interest rates still moving higher, the dollar generally moving higher. The employment picture will change too. It, you know, you have a very tight labor market that will probably have to change to some degree. Wages will have to come down. He's, he's vigilant about fixing the problem. Regardless of how the problem came about, he's vigilant about fixing it. And he's made it clear, we will continue to do this until the job gets done. So if the Fed fueled the rally all these years and they are unwinding and doing the exact opposite now, it would be foolish to fight them. And I think those who are saying well, corporate earnings are still good, and da, 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 you know, the bullish story, of course, you have to take into consideration all that. But giving back that when, when you think that the S&P doubled off of the COVID low, just two and a half years ago, there's no reason you couldn't give a substantial amount of that rally back. So we're only at you know, a small amount of 15, 20% of it. it. It certainly could be much more. So I, I think investors who refuse to sell have been so brainwashed by the years of rallies that held up in, in a Fed that fueled the markets, they're listening to those, those who are stubbornly not selling at all this year, or paying attention to those who don't want to really understand at a very simple level that you don't want to fight the Fed. And that doesn't mean there aren't tactical trading opportunities, you know, to buy in a down market or, or to sell in an up market. But in general, you've got the Fed tightening with, with a uh, confirmed and clear set of goals. And my guess is you're going to be able to buy stocks back cheaper. So that's why we continually look for rallies to sell into. Well, Rick, I think you're spot on with the don't fight the Fed comment being a bi-directional point. It doesn't just mean on the way up. It also means when they're tightening on the way down, you shouldn't fight the Fed but to a lot of traders that have maybe not lived through a true correction in their lifetime. I don't think that the pandemic crash was more of a crash than a correction. And same thing with the with the great financial crisis. It was a crash uh, and it, it was an anomaly in the market. But this is more akin to the 2001 dot-com bubble going down or some of the crashes we saw in the 80s and 90s. So these are things that a lot of traders haven't lived through. 
and all they have known is buy the dip, Rick. And so in this particular case, a lot of people are just stunned that it may not turn back up and that support levels may continue to get broken. But there's one other thing that's fueling these markets, and that is as the Fed fights inflation and keeps hiking rates, we see interest rates going higher and higher. And that means bonds are going lower and lower. And the interest rate yields have even inverted. I mean, the 10-year as of the time of this recording is at 3.68, and the two years at 4.12. So those are another signal that there's probably weakness to come in the economy and the markets. How much do you put value on what's happening in the bond market in relation to stocks? Because they're no longer the safe haven they used to be. No, not at all. For a couple of years now, we have made it very clear we wanted nothing to do with the bond market in the sense of um, I had no interest when, when yields were 1% and under. We had you know constantly writing, why would you want to lock in 1% for 10 years? And we cautioned investors about holding bonds. And of course, we have institutional clients who are uh, insurance companies and, and pension funds and those type of institutions always need to have fixed income exposure. But for the average investor, this was not something that made any sense for us to be a holder of. As rates now move higher and you, you get the two year above 4%, it starts creating some competition uh, for stocks. It's, it's certainly still even at 4%, you guarantee yourself 4%. You're still losing money versus inflation running at 8%, but you can at least start to think of it as a possible way of, of protecting some sense of, of your money and not taking the risk of being in the stock market. We've had, so once yields broke above 3.3% on the 10-year, I said that the 348 level would not um, hold the market and that we'd get to 3.7 to below 3.8s. And that's where I think we're headed. Uh, as you say, we're at 368 now. We're, we're, we're certainly getting close to, to those type levels. And we'll have to see what happens at that point. But when you have the inversion like you do and the two-year giving you 40 to 45 basis points more than a 10-year, until you see the spreads narrow and, and possibly go back to a normal yield curve type situation, it's telling you the market's awfully concerned. One of the things that we put out on our institutional piece each week on the front page is a table that shows the appetite for risk across the marketplace. And for the last couple of weeks, we've noted that the amount of risk on appetite in the marketplace across 10 major markets globally was at the lowest level it's been in years. And I said, tactically, that's Potentially, you could get a bounce from that because people are really risk off. But in the bigger sense, strategically, that's a real negative because it's telling you professional investors are not willing to really hold uh, risk positions. And that, as long as that stays the case, until we start seeing some semblance of a change there, why would you want to fight what institutions are doing and what the Fed is doing. So as interest rates move up, sure, tactically, we could stop between 3.7 and 3.83 and see what happens from there. But you're, you're in an environment where the Fed's telling you rates are going higher. And uh, there'll be a point where I'll be willing to buy bonds and actually hold them in my own personal portfolio again. And we, we're, we're getting closer to that. But 
I'm, I'm just simply unwilling to listen to and heed to the bulls who seem to have, um, I'll, I'll, I'll use a behavioral economics term and say confirmation bias. They're simply looking for data that proves why they should be long. And these people you keep seeing on TV who love the market, no matter what the prices keep telling you as the market keeps falling and falling, shows you that they're unwilling to actually see what's going on. That's why we've always made it a point in the research I've written both for several years since I've had my own consulting firm, both Benson, your investment strategies and in the note trader, the latter for retail clients is that I kind of tell you the way it is and the way I see it. And I don't have any agenda other than to give you the best information I can that will hopefully make you the most amount of, amount of money possible. And I think too many people out there have hidden agendas, um, especially people who work at sell-side firms and uh, hate to be overly bearish. Look, if the market, if I think the market's going down, I'm going to tell it to you. You may not like what I say, but I'm going to tell you what I think. And I get comments from subscribers almost every day telling me, thank you so much for what you've done for us over the last six months because you've kept us out of continuously buying and playing a bull market that clearly is not one. That is true. Bear market. And look, this is what we have been hearing from the Fed. This is the direction that a lot of big money investors have been leaning. What about the US dollar, Rick? That has been the standout where, in all fairness, the Fed is still hiking more aggressively than a lot of other central banks as we're recording this. The dollar is over 111. So it really is starting to break out here. And look, a lot of people are looking to that 120 level. Path of least resistance seems higher for the dollar. Do you see that changing? Yeah, so I, I was not a friend of the dollar for a fair amount of, of this year. Uh, but several weeks back, probably, I guess, maybe five, six weeks ago, because I'm pretty sure we talked about my near-term bullishness on the dollar the last time it was on last month. Um, I've got a 112.63 target for the U.S. dollar index, the DXY. Uh, we're up at 111 and change. Uh, today, essentially on the highs of the move. So we have a, a, a tactical target of 112.63. But in the bigger picture, uh, above here, I've got targets at 113.58. And then the bigger upside targets at 121.37. So I, I do think as long as the interest rates continue on the upside, then these targets are very much in, in play. And a strong dollar is obviously going to hurt multinationals. It'll help those that import, but it'll hurt the multinationals and the, you know, the U.S. stock market. And the strong dollar and high interest rates right now are not a big friend to stocks. So it all kind of leads, you know, they're all interrelated. And as long as you see the general trend in the dollar higher and interest rates higher, you're going to have a hard time making money buying stocks. Well, Rick, the strong dollar and the higher interest rates are, are classically not a friend to gold uh, and the precious metals either. And, and a lot of our listeners and, and people that follow our site are invested in precious metals companies. When you were on last time, you mentioned the key level of 1675, which we've been testing most of this week. 
uh, that if that breaks, there could be some real downside pressure. And when you combine that with the dollar at 111 and with interest rates continuing to soar higher, what is your outlook on the precious metals? So um, gold is just barely holding in here. It's as, as I've written several times, it's dangerously close to falling off a cliff. Um, the lowest number that we have published as kind of being the last stand is 1666 for in, in Comex gold. And uh, that was, I think, a dollar from last week's low. We're still kind of just hanging in there. And we're at the bottom of a range of uh, a horizontal level, approximately at 1675, give or take, let's call it 10 bucks, that this is the seventh time we've gotten down there in the last, I guess, year and a half, two years. If it breaks, you will have trapped a couple of years worth of buyers uh, between, let's, in round numbers, we'll call it 1675 to, let's say, 2050, when gold made its all-time high and double-topped this year against the August 2020 high. Um, and if you break this, then you're talking about a down move that probably goes to 1450 to 1370 on the downside. And then in the future, you'll be capped somewhere around 1675 to 1700. So if gold can't hold here, it likely breaks and sets a whole new trading range. That means that those who are trapped at these higher levels will spend years being underwater with the very little likelihood of being able to get their money back. So I'm, I still personally own gold. I've had it for years and years. I don't obviously love what I'm seeing here. And I'll have to sell some if, if 1666 breaks. But it's not a pretty picture. Now, it is at the lower end of the range, and maybe it does hold for another time. But if the dollar doesn't come off and stay off, it's hard to think that gold is going to have a meaningful rally. And uh, I talk to people in the gold industry who still tell me that the fundamentals are there for gold. But they were saying the same when gold was at 2000 and now gold being down beneath 1700 and still hearing, you know, the fundamentals are good. Well, they may be, but price action is saying otherwise. So, Rick, can you elaborate a little bit on that? Because we hear a lot of this, too, where long term fundamentals, it looks good for gold. These are a lot of people that are very focused in the gold sector. How do you yeah. balance that out when you hear this? Well, look at the fundamentals. Look at the long-term picture. But price is telling you something drastically different. Well, the way I do and, and look at that, Corey, is I like to look at investor sentiment, not just from a sentiment poll, but actually how investors are positioned. I know from having played this game enough years that if you break a level that is held a half a dozen times or more over a significant amount of time, when that breaks, it either becomes a very quick false breakdown or it's the beginning of a significant breakdown. The fundamentals being bullish would tell you it should be if it, like a quick breakdown to knock out weak-handed longs and then it should come right back. I kind of think with a year and a half to two years worth of buyers underwater, 
And unless you've, you've gotten long gold sub 1700, you are underwater in the last two years of, of having been a buyer. I kind of think, given the way markets work, that this will plunk. And the fact that the fundamentals are bullish may not be important enough over the next several months if this thing takes a dive. Ultimately, fundamentals will drive a market. But you have to also understand positioning and investors' risk tolerance for pain. My guess is if this breaks, it breaks. All right, Rick, great chatting with you as always. I really appreciate you diving in to these markets and also how you balance out that whole narrative of people saying fundamentally this looks great when unfortunately price and markets, the charts are going in a different direction. Very interesting comments. Thank you again for your time on this weekend show, Rick. I hope you have a great rest of your weekend. You too, guys. Thanks for having me. Al Corlin's firm, A.B. Corlin and Associates Incorporated, provides consulting services to public companies on matters of regulatory compliance. To find out more, follow the link from www.kereport.com. The Corlin Economics Report will be back after this brief timeout.